Oh, man, it's good to be here today. It's good to be preaching God's Word. And uh, we've been in 1 John, as you know, and so we're kind of getting to the end of that. We're in 1 John chapter 5 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 6 through 12, uh, but we'll be a little while before we get there. But you can go ahead and put your finger in the spot so that you know where we're going to be. So when we get there, you'll already be there, okay? Uh, But the topic today is going to be that we can be confident that Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. Isn't that good news? Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of the world. Now, the world uh, may say that there's many ways to get to God, uh, but God's Word and God Himself says there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Uh, and Jesus Christ only. And so Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. In uh, most of the year of 1995, in fact, from January all the way until October of 1995, uh, America was glued to the TV, and they were watching what has been dubbed the trial of the century. In fact, if you remember... It was uh, the county of Los Angeles against uh, Orenthal James Simpson, or better known as O.J. Simpson. Now, during that proceeding, uh, there was 101 people that testified uh, in that case. And uh, they had 108 exhibits of DNA evidence that they looked at. And then they had 61 droplets of blood that they had examined, and they had a multitude, a multitude of physical evidence that they presented uh, within that case, and it seemed like it was going to be just an open and shut slam dunk case for the prosecution, and as most of us probably remember, it ended up being returned a not guilty verdict in the criminal case against O.J. Simpson. Now, in a, in a strange turn of events, almost never happens kind of situation, uh, two years later, there was a civil case for wrongful death where they used the same exact evidence that they presented in the criminal case, and O.J. was found liable for the death of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman on February the 4th of 1997. Now, I didn't present that to try to tell you whether he was guilty or innocent in that case, but what I did want you to see is this shows that human testimony and human evidence can be viewed in different ways. Uh, Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? And so evidence... And testimony can be viewed in different ways, and it can be debunked. Uh, The reason is because our judgment as humans can be skewed. Uh, It can be skewed by persuasion, or by preference, or by perversion, or by prejudice. But God's testimony is final. Ours can be skewed, but God's testimony, it is final. And... Who can argue with God, right? If in fact God is God and God is God, if in fact there is a God and there is a God, then his judgment is final and who are we 
to argue with the judgments or the testimony are the evidence of God, right? In fact, Paul kind of takes that whole thing up in Romans chapter 9 as he's talking about the sovereignty of God and God's will and how we may not like God's will, but we cannot argue with it. And in fact, in chapter 9, verses 19 and 20, Paul says this, You may say to me then, why does God still find fault if God's overall and we're sinful and and uh, and we have no control over our lives, but God is sovereign over. How can God find fault in us is the rhetorical question that Paul is presenting. And then he goes on to say, for who can resist his will or God's will? On the contrary, who are you, you foolish person who answers back to God? In other words, he's saying, who are we to answer back to God or to question God for his judgments and then he goes on to say um, the thing molded will not say to the molder why did you make me like this will it and so if God testifies to something who are we to argue with God right God's testimony is greater because he is perfect he is righteous he is wise all-knowing he is uh, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. God is all of those things. So who are we to argue with God? And that's what John is kind of saying here in 1 John chapter 5. I want you to look right now, and we'll read the rest of it in a minute. But look at verse 9. He says, if we receive the testimony of men or people, the testimony of God is greater for the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. John's saying God's testimony is greater. So what has God testified to? Let's look and see what God has testified to here in First John. Look in verse 11 and 12. And then we'll kind of read the whole thing. But let's look in 11 and 12. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son does not have life. So the testimony of God is this. In Jesus Christ is life. Jesus Christ is the one and only savior of the world. And the testimony of God is true because the testimony of God is greater than the testimony of man. And so we kind of look and say, wow, I think the world will say, wow, what a claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And what John does here in chapter 5 is he, he gives us the three ways that God verifies the fact that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. So let's look at all these verses together. And then I want us to look at these three ways that God verifies that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. Are you with me? I need one of these nods right now. Okay. All right. Good day. Chapter 5, verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit 
who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 7. Now let me say this real quick as you kind of take a pause and we're going to read. Verse 7, if you have certain translations, especially the King James translation, verse 6 is going to say, there's three in heaven that bear record, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, A lot of modern translations do not have that verse in there. And the reason that verse is not in some of the modern translations is it doesn't show up in any of the Greek manuscripts, okay? It doesn't show up in any of them. And, And listen, that statement is true, right? There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that there's uh, one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that all the Bible teaches that, but that particular verse is not in any of the Greek manuscripts. It was found in one manuscript as a side note, and, it, and that's why it was brought into the King James translation, okay? Still a great translation. I cut my teeth on it. Uh, I, I put my confidence in the words that's found there. It does nothing to the authority of Scripture or the uh, veracity of Scripture. It's just that particular verse, that's one of the only translations it's found in, okay? Now, let's look at verse 7 here. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and, or the Spirit and the water and the blood and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of people or man, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. And Lord, we come before you today asking for your grace for your guidance, for your help. Lord, we realize this morning, if any good thing is to come from this service today, that your Spirit must impart it to us. So we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that your Word would find its lodging place in our hearts, that we would apply these truths to our lives, that we may be better servants of yours. We pray now for your leadership, your guidance, your direction, and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at these three ways, okay? Three, three witnesses, if you will, that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of the world. Now, the first witness that John calls here, that he says that God has given us as a witness to who Jesus is, is the water. God testified by water that Jesus is the one and only Savior. Now, what does he mean? It's kind of interesting. I, as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture, I thought, you know, there's three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And I was thinking, man, the, the Spirit is a give me. We know that we have the testimony of the Spirit, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then the blood, we can say, yes, you know, we have the, 
the testimony of the blood. But what does he mean when he says water? And then in the next verse, he says, not water only, but water and the blood. And so what is John trying to say here? Well, we've got to go back to a former message, okay? When we first began talking out of 1 John, if you remember, we talked about Gnosticism. We talked about, in fact, Docetic Gnosticism, which is the idea that Jesus only appeared to be a man, okay? And so this idea of only appearing. And one of the beliefs that they had was that the Spirit of the Christ came upon Jesus at his baptism. And then at his crucifixion or at the cross, the Spirit of Christ left Jesus. Okay, that was one of the docetic, Gnostic thoughts of the day. And so what John is saying is he's, he's not, he doesn't agree at all with the fact that 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 the spirit of Christ came upon Jesus at the baptism. Because if you read John, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says, you know, in the beginning of uh, 1 John, he says, uh, we, we tell you what was from the beginning, how we have seen him, felt him, touched him, the words of life. And so John believed that Jesus has always been and will always be Christ, the Son of the living God, God incarnate. So he doesn't at all believe that, but what he's saying is this. That at Jesus' baptism, there was a witness of God to who Jesus was. There was a witness of God to who Jesus was. And so what John is saying is he didn't become the Christ at his baptism. But at Jesus' baptism, he began to reveal himself as the Christ. He began to And if we read, we get that whole picture. We see that after Jesus' baptism, he was driven into the desert where he was tempted by Satan. And then he began to preach and to teach and to heal those that he came in contact with. And he was going from village to village and he was preaching and he was teaching and he was healing and he was ministering. And so the baptism verified Jesus' public ministry. But God verified his sonship at the baptism. All the synoptic gospels, and when I say synoptic, I mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic gives the idea that they see things. Optic, we know, see. Uh, sin, S-Y-N. It means in unison, we see things the same way. The three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they see things the same way. All the synoptics give this story of Jesus' baptism. And do you remember that? He came to John to be baptized. John protested. He said, I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, no, it is necessary that we do this, that all righteousness will be fulfilled. And then Jesus was baptized of John in the Jordan. It says that he went under the water. And when he came up, the Spirit of God descended uh, as a dove and the heavens opened up, and there was a voice, and the voice said what? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, God gave a testimony at the baptism of Jesus of who he is. He said, this is 
my son. And so John is calling us back to that, to remember that, that God himself, not man, uh, not human witnesses, but God himself gave testimony to who Jesus Christ was and is, his son, whom he's well pleased. And the father verified who Jesus is, the Son of God, divine, preexistent, intimate with the Father, and one with the Father. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, the water is also a testimony of what Jesus came to do. And that is save the world from their sin. In the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' baptism, uh, John recognizes his need of being baptized by Jesus. And so he kind of pushes back and he protests a little bit uh, about that. And why did he do that? Because he thought, man, I'm a sinful man. And you're sinless. And so you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. But why did Jesus get baptized of John in order to fulfill all righteousness? Here's what it is. He identified with us. Jesus identified with us. In every way except sin. The writer of Hebrews says this. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. But in all ways was tempted as you and I yet without sin. In other words Jesus has experienced every aspect of being a human except for sin. He knows what it's like to be tempted by sin. But he's never been tainted by sin. Amen. He's been tempted but not tainted. And so Jesus has identified with us in every way. And at his baptism Jesus is identifying with you and with me. And, and, and he, he shows, by identifying with us, he shows our need for cleansing. And he would, in fact, take on all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our sins. And John, in, in John chapter 1, verse 29, as John is baptizing others, he looks over and he sees Jesus, and here's the words that he gives, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was identifying with us that he would be the one that would take on our sins, die on the cross for our sins, and rise again with victory over our sins. In fact, if we look at the whole idea of being baptized by immersion and we connect that with Romans chapter 6, we see that, that uh, it, it presents the gospel. How Jesus died according to the scriptures, how he was buried, and how he rose again according to the scripture. And so it represents the fact that Jesus would take away our sins. He identified with us. One last thought as we think about water and the witness of the water. When we are baptized, we identify with Jesus. We do. In Romans chapter 6, if you want to just turn over there, Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 7, it talks about this identification that we have with Jesus through baptism. He says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Uh, God forbid, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, 
certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our, our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the one who has died is free from sin. And so he's saying that you and I, when we are baptized, we identify with Christ, that we identify with his death and with his resurrection and with the new life that we have through Jesus Christ. I've said this often about baptism, and I'll say it again here. Baptism is a step. In fact, it's the first step towards obedience to Christ. And so when we are baptized, we are stating through what we're doing that we are going to obey Christ, the command of Christ, that we're to be baptized, and we're going to follow Him as Lord, and we're going to be obedient to Him. It is a step. Second, is it is a statement. Baptism is publicly declaring that Jesus is the Lord of our life and that we intend on following him. It's a statement, but also it's a symbol. It's a symbol of our union with Christ and with the gospel. Paul said there in Romans chapter 6 that we are buried with him into his death and that we rise with him to walk in newness of life. It's a symbol of the new life that we have through Jesus Christ. And so John's saying that this water, God gave testimony to Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior at his baptism through the water. Second, he says that God testified by blood that Jesus is the one and only Savior. Now again, John's trying to combat those that that would say that Jesus was something besides the God-man, fully God and fully man. And he's making the point that Jesus wasn't just a spirit or didn't just appear to be a man, nor did Christ come on him at his baptism and leave before the cross, but Jesus was, is, and always will be the incarnate Son of God. And blood proves that. And so the Father gave testimony to Jesus as he was preparing for the cross. And so we have in view the, the baptism of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. He said, not just with water, but with water and with blood. Jesus was the Christ from his baptism, even before his baptism, during his baptism, all through his ministry, and to the cross, and to this day, he is the Christ. And that's what John is declaring here. And he's saying, at the cross, the Father declared Jesus to be the one and only Savior of the world. Well, how did the Father do that? Well, he did that in preparing him for the cross. If we look in John chapter 12, verses 27 through 33, we know that Jesus is beginning to tell his disciples that, hey, I'm, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. And Jesus is kind of pulled away from his public ministry here in chapter 12, chapter 13. We're going to see that Jesus washes the feet with his disciples and, and celebrates the Passover that we just talked about and just did. And then in chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. He's, already, he's troubled the hearts of his disciples because he's told them that he's going to go to the cross. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
And, and so Jesus is kind of pulling back, and in chapter 12, he's preparing for that. And, and here's what we hear in chapter 12, verses 27 through 33. Jesus speaking, he says, Now my soul has become troubled. And what am I to do, or what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then listen to this. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded and said, This voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now he was saying this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. And so when Jesus says, am I to say, God save me from this hour, save me from the cross? He says, no, it's for this hour I was born. And then the father speaks. And the father testifies as he's preparing to shed his blood on the cross. But not only did the father testify as Jesus was preparing to shed his blood on the cross. But the father gave testimony as Jesus was shedding his blood on the cross. You remember Matthew chapter 27 verses 45 through 52. It's the story of Jesus hanging on the cross. We know that he said seven different sayings. And in Matthew, Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And they, they bring a sponge and try to uh, give him sour vinegar. And, and then it says that he gave up the ghost and that the earth began to shake. And, and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. And God gives testimony to who Jesus is as he's shedding his blood on the cross. In fact, it tells us in that passage that at noonday, look outside right now, just take a glance outside right now. It's a, it's a cloudy day today, isn't it? And it's getting close to noon, and it'll probably be noon afternoon before you get out of here. Um, <laughs> but it's bright, isn't it? Could you imagine... Would your heart get troubled if suddenly it was totally dark here? I know what some of you would say. Some of you would say, there's a storm a-brewing around here. Well, maybe you wouldn't. You'd probably say it differently. That's what we'd say in Mississippi. <laughs> but it would be a strange effect if it were to be as dark as midnight at noonday. Amen? Amen? And in fact, everybody that was around the cross realized that something was going on. And Matthew recorded the fact that at noonday, it was dark. And then when Jesus cried out and gave up the ghost, in Matthew he says that the earth began to shake in such a way that the mountains were broken up and the graves were opened up because the earth shook so terribly as Jesus was hanging on the cross. And then what's most interesting to me is this. The, the veil at the temple was rent, torn in two, it says, from the top to the bottom. You know what's always been unique about that to me? You would think if the earthquake caused that, it would be torn from the bottom to the top, wouldn't you? 
But it was torn from the top to the bottom because God gave us access. God granted us access. It was God's invitation to us to come into the holiest of holiest where the mercy seat of God is. And we see in in Hebrews where it says, let us boldly come before the throne of grace that we might find help in time of trouble and grace in time of need. God has rent the veil. God has given testimony to who Jesus is. He gave testimony in him preparing for the cross. He gave testimony while he was on the cross. Listen, he gave testimony after the cross. After the cross. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul's introducing himself to the Roman church. We could learn something from Paul about introductions. He's introducing himself to the Romans, and he can't even introduce himself without talking about Jesus. And so he says, Jesus is a a son of David, according to man. But then he goes on in verse 4, and here's what he says in verse 4. He said, he was declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says that Jesus, that God gave testimony that Jesus was the one and only Savior of the world by raising him from the dead three days later. So the Father gave testimony in preparing for the cross. He gave testimony at the cross. He gave testimony after the cross. But also, Jesus said that we are to testify of his blood being shed upon the cross continually. Amen? In fact, that's what we did this morning, wasn't it? He says, do this. (laughs) Do this. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And every time that you and I, we celebrate the Lord's Supper like we did this morning, or communion like we did this morning, we testify to the blood of Jesus, that the blood of Jesus has given us a covenant with God, that his blood has sealed a covenant between us and God, where God forgives us of our sins and will never remember our sins again. And so we give testimony to that week after week. What are we saying when we do the Lord's Supper? Well, here's what we're saying. We're saying that God became a man and fully identified with us in every way except sin. Second, we're saying Jesus shed his blood to pay the price for our sins. That he was the perfect substitute for mankind's sin. We're also saying every time that we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're saying that Jesus sealed with his blood a covenant between God and us, whereby God forgives all of our sins and makes us his child. And then we declare, every time that we partake of the Lord's Supper, that Jesus rose again because he is God. And death could not hold him. He ascended to the Father and he is coming again to receive us that where he is there we shall be also the testimony of the blood the testimony of the water but then let's do the easiest one and the longest one but we're going to simplify it because time would absolutely exhaust itself for me to tell you the many different ways that the spirit of God testifies that Jesus is the one and only savior John says the peace that puts it all together is the spirit of God the spirit of God gives testimony 
that Jesus is the one and only Savior. And let me just give you a few ways because I can't give you all of the ways that he gives testimony. First, the Spirit gives testimony by his work as a witness in the believer. By his work as a witness in the believer. Over and over again, the Spirit of God testifies in our hearts that we are children of God. Here's the way John, John said it. Let me find it here real quickly. He says, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. How is John saying? John's saying that the Spirit gives us testimony that Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. And first of all, he says that that works within the believer, the Spirit of God regenerates us. He makes us new. He says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. We have the testimony that he remakes us. But also, he indwells us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, uh, Ye are the temple of God. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you? In other words, the Spirit gives testimony because He dwells within us. But also, He bestows us with gifts. In Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see a list of gifts that the Spirit of God has given us. Also, the Spirit of God bears witness and gives testimony by reassuring us of our relationship with God. In Romans chapter 8 verse 16, He says, our spirit, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He reassures us. Not only does he reassure us, but he convicts us. Amen? We were talking Wednesday in our men's class about Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, That that I would, I do not, and that that I would not, that I do. And he says, there's this battle, there's this war that is going on within me. And then he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall save me from this body of death? And he says, I thank God through Christ Jesus who giveth me the victory. And so there's this struggle that we and I go, or you and I go through. And we, there's things we want to do, but the Spirit refrains us and convicts us and draws us away from those things. And so... The conviction of the Spirit is one of the witnesses. But also the Spirit works in the believer to mature us. In Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And how God is at work maturing believers. And then in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, the Spirit of God seals us. Grieve not the Holy Spirit whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. I love it in 1 Corinthians. It talks about the Spirit of God not only as a seal but as a, a token or as an earnest. In other words, God has given us his Holy Spirit as earnest until he comes to receive us. So we have a, a very present helper within us that gives testimony of who Jesus is. So the Spirit is at work in the believer. But also the Spirit testifies or, or works as a witness in the Word. As we read the Word of God, we get this testimony that Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. In John chapter 14, verse 6, I had the privilege of preaching a funeral 
uh, of, a, of a Christian lady this week, and, and uh, the family was gracious enough to say, hey, we want you to share the gospel. And I say, oh, thank you for that, because I had every intention of doing that. I'd love to have the opportunity to share the gospel uh, anytime I preach. And I use John chapter 14, and in John chapter 14, verse 5, uh, Jesus says, where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. And then Thomas says, Lord, <laughs> we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then in verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word of God gives testimony that Jesus is the only one. In, in Acts, Peter says, there is one name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Peter says, in, in First Peter, he says that uh, as newborn babes that we are to desire the sincere milk of the word of God that we may grow thereby. The word of God, the spirit is working through the word of God to give us witness that Jesus is the one and only Savior. But here's another thought. The spirit of God is at work to give witness to non-believers. Now, I said that he was at work in the believer and he's at work in the word, but he is at work with the non-believer. The Holy Spirit's not in the non-believer, but the Holy Spirit is at work with the non-believer. How is that? Well, in, in John chapter 16, Jesus said that I go away, but if I go away, I'll send another helper, another paracletes, another comforter to you. Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And when he comes... He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not in the only begotten Son of God. Of righteousness because I go to be with the Father. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is being judged. And so Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world with the non-believer bringing about conviction. Testify. How many of you can remember way back then when the Holy Spirit was dealing with you about Jesus being the one and only Savior and your need for him? You remember that? All of us have been there. Listen, all of us that have been saved have been there. I hope that if you hadn't been saved, you're there today. I hope that the Spirit of God right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart. But the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart in such a way such an intimate way that, that we realize that we are undone before a holy God. That we need a Savior. That we are lost. That we are sinful. I always said this about it. When the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you don't have to write home to Mama and ask what's going on. I mean, you just know that the Spirit of God is speaking to you something. I remember I was talking to an older guy one time, and I was sharing with him about how all of, how all of us are sinful. And he said, there is something that is telling me that you're telling me the truth. And I said, well, I want to introduce you to who that is. It's called, he is called the Holy Spirit of God. He is the only one that can do that. And so this morning, if, if something is telling you that you're undone, that you're not right with God, it's not the persuasiveness of my speech because it's not very persuasive. It's the Spirit of God. He convicts us of sin. I love it. He says, and he convicts us of righteousness. What does that mean? 
The Holy Spirit shows us that the only way that we can be right with him is through Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You remember in chapter 2, verse 2, where, where John is saying that we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. He is the righteous one. He lived the life we'll never be able to live, died the death we deserve. He's the righteous one. And the Holy Spirit shows us that we're sinful and the only way we can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. He puts those two side by side. But also he says judgment. He shows us, the Holy Spirit shows us that if we reject the righteousness of God that we face the judgment of this world. So, let's tie it all together and let's wrap it up this morning. What do we do? What do we need to do as we think about responding this morning to the message? Well, one is this. We ought to be assured this morning, right? We ought to be assured because Christianity or our faith in Jesus, it's logical, it's credible, uh, it's verified by the greatest witness of all witnesses, and that's God himself has bore witness. And John said he's done it in three ways. When there's three witnesses, everything's established through the water, through the blood, and through his spirit. God has given a threefold witness to Jesus being the one and only Savior of the world. Our faith is built on a solid ground, and we should confidently share it with others. Amen? We should confidently share it with others. So I want to ask you this. Who are you praying for by name that they'll come to know Jesus Christ? Now, I understand there's a chance this morning that you say, you know what, I, everybody I know is right here in this church building, Pastor Lee. I don't know of anybody I'm praying by name that I'm naming out before Jesus that, that he would save and that I'm looking for an opportunity to share the gospel with. Well, if that's the case, find somebody. You're going to go, you may go to Snook's this afternoon to get a piece of chicken. There's going to be somebody there you can introduce yourself to and build a relationship with. You may go to Walmart. You, uh, you, when you go to work on Monday, you're, you may run into somebody that you've never talked to, you've never built a friendship with before. Who are you praying for on purpose that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And who are you looking for the opportunity to share this bold, confident, witnessed faith that you have with? Who? Find somebody. Here's a second thought. I love it in verse 11. It says this. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. Wow. <laughs> God wants you to be saved. God wants you to be saved. And he has given you the way to be saved. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. God wants you to be saved. God has given you the way to be saved. You may say, well, you know what, Pastor Lou, that sounds mighty exclusive to me, and I don't know if I like that or not. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. Who can argue with God? Yes, it's exclusive. It is exclusive. There's only one way. But isn't it so simple that if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Listen to me this morning. If getting saved was getting religious, 
Uh, some of you would work yourself to death trying to find the right religion to get connected to. If getting, if getting right with God was about turning over a new leaf, here's the problem. That leaf always turns back over, right? Uh, if, if getting right with God was, uh, was doing the right things, we never do the right things. God has made it simple. Life is through His Son. Somebody said that grace is God reaching down. Faith is us reaching up. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God has reached down by His grace in the person of Jesus Christ. All you have to do to know that you're going to heaven, that you... All you have to do to become a child of God, all you have to do to be forgiven of your sin is to reach up by faith and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Did you do that this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we, we give this to you. I don't know the hearts of any person here, and Lord, I struggle even knowing my own heart at times. But I know that your spirit is a faithful witness. And Lord, I trust that this morning, even through the feeble words that I've spoken, that your Holy Spirit has spoken truth into lives this morning. There may be a Christian here today that needs to restore and renew the confidence that they have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they need to put themselves out there and begin to talk to people and meet people and be bold in sharing their faith with those that they come in contact with. I pray this morning, if that's the case, that commitments would be made to be a faithful, bold witness for you. But Lord, I pray most of all, the greatest need that any person in this building has today is to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that they have eternal life through Jesus Christ. This world is but a vapor. It appears a little while and it vanishes away. But Lord, you have created us to spend eternity with you. You have made the way that we can be forgiven of our sins. Jesus Christ has done it all, and we just have to trust him. I pray this morning that if there's someone here that your spirit is speaking to about salvation, that today they would come forward. Lord, I pray if there's one here that needs to be faithful to follow you and be obedient, in baptism, that you would speak to them, that they would come forward and follow you in believer's baptism. But God, I pray that you would work. We trust you to do that. We give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen.